Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, July 22nd, 2018. My name is Leah M. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and your moderator for this morning. The share ID numbers for Friday, July 20th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 11686. That's 11,686. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 11687. 11,687. This morning, A Vision for You celebrates its sixth anniversary with a very special edition. Thirteen testimonials as to the power, experience, and results of the program of recovery. Many people consider the program of recovery, the 12 steps, one of the greatest miracles of the 20th century. There's no telling how many lives have been touched by the 12 steps. The sole purpose of this step work is to find a power through the experience of a spiritual awakening. The 12 steps enable people of all walks of life, wrapping the globe, all different types, from all different backgrounds, in spite of all odds, experiencing change, transformation like never seen anywhere else. What a miracle! 12 simple steps which anybody can apply. This morning, you will hear from 13 voices, 13 recovered compulsive overeaters, each describing in their own personal way how the individual steps have changed them. 13 voices weaving together 13 stories of transformation, messages of depth and weight, creating a powerful message of hope and possibility. Indeed, God has shown us how to create the fellowship we crave. Let's get started now with step one. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Part one, allergy of the body, presented by Pete B. from Pennsylvania. Thanks, Leah. Are you able to hear me okay? I do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. My name is Pete B., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in uh, Pennsylvania, recovered today by God's grace and mercy. I'm really excited to be a part of this and to share my, you know, my uh, part on the allergy of the body, step one. And, and you know, before I, start, before I get started on the, the allergy of the body, I, just, you know, I almost always ask somebody when I talk to them, uh, what's the first step? And they almost always say to me that the first step is that we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. And that's on page 59 in chapter 5. And I always bring up to them that on page 30 in chapter 3 and more about alcoholism, it says that we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people or presently may be has to be smashed. And in this context, concede implies a change of mind, right? Where admit only implies making up one's mind. So the distinction between making a decision and changing a decision, the distinction is, 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 uh, the, is the difference is making a decision versus changing a decision that's once been made. 
So this delusion that we are like other people or presently may be, that's what I relate to with the allergy of the body. I am not like other people and I never will be. What differentiates me from others is that my body reacts to substances differently than other people's bodies react to substances, among other things. There are lots of other differences, but that's what differentiates me from the normal eater or normal drinker. The different reaction that I have is the allergy of the body or phenomena of craving that follows ingesting certain substances. You know, when I was reading in, uh, in the big book, I saw on page 355 in the story, it might have been worse, and it might be a different page in your book, but it says the explanation about alcoholism, the explanation that alcoholism was a disease of a twofold nature, an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind cleared up a number of puzzling questions for me. The allergy we can do nothing about. Right, so what that tells me is that if I work this program, I'm assured to be restored to sanity, which will, uh, which will address the second part of step one, the obsession of the mind. But I will never not have the allergy of the body. Never not have the allergy of the body. I'll have that forever. I will always be powerless over food once it gets in my body. Certain substances will once it gets in my body. Right. In the doctor's opinion, Dr. Silkworth says that men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. When that tells me anything, it doesn't say alcoholics drink because they like the effect produced by alcohol. It says men and women drink because they like the effect produced by alcohol. Anything I put in my mouth or in my body causes an effect, anything, right? Some, some effects is it relieves my hunger, some of it relieves my thirst, it nourishes my body, some foods calm me down, some foods excite me. And they'll always cause an effect, recovered or not. It's just, that's just the design, right? That, that, that's just the way it is. But there are certain substances that if I ingest them in any quantity or in any form, it causes an additional effect. This is the injurious effect that the doctor was referring to. It lights up parts of my brain and parts of my body that demand I have more. Some of these substances I may be or I may not be addicted to, right? Meaning that if I'm addicted to them, I'm physically and mentally dependent upon them. And if I stop using them, I'll go through withdrawals, right? But the demand that I have more is the phenomena of craving or my allergic reaction that, that, that my body has to these substances. And if craving occurs, if these substances get in my body, there's no thinking through it, right? There's no, I, I challenge that we can't even pray through it, right? I, I, have, I have eaten a candy bar and prayed that I would need another one and I've eaten another one. I can't make a reach out call and hope that the phenomena of craving goes away. I can't do a 10 step in my OA app, right? And hope that it's gonna be lifted. I am truly, truly powerless. My experience is that the phenomena of craving is stronger than any other reaction that, resists in, that exists in my body. The only relief that Overeaters has to offer me is entire abstinence from these substances. And you know, so for me in working this and, and, and looking at this, like this process, I went through a process of how I had to identify exactly what these substances are and they had to be completely in, in eliminated, right? There are certain foods, 
certain ingredients, certain liquids that if I ingest them in any way, shape, or form, they're going to cause this phenomenal craving, and then it's off to the races. For me, it either causes an injurious effect or it doesn't. For me, there's no level of effect. It's either black or white, not green, yellow, or red. These substances have no power over me unless I ingest them. So when I ingest them, I'm utterly powerless over, powerless over them. Um, I'm coming up on my time. I have about a minute left, but I just wanted to say, you know, in closing, that I, you know, I really love this big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's, it's a fantastic, you know, body of information that we all find particularly interesting. And, and from that inf information, we all get a great deal of knowledge. And with this knowledge, we're able to incorporate a lot of this stuff into our lives. Right, but in page 39, in the first full paragraph in italics, it says, but the actual or potential alcoholic, with hardly an exception, will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. This is a point we wish to emphasize and re-emphasize, to smash home upon our alcoholic readers as it has been revealed to us of bitter, out of bitter experience. So lack of knowledge, lack of information, lack of fellowship is not my problem. The concepts that are presented are not overly complicated or, di or difficult to understand. Accepting them is another story, right? right? But this book, this information has no power. Right? In chapter 4 on page 45 in We Agnostics, it says lack of power is our dilemma. Well, that's exactly what this book about book is about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. And on page 59 and how it works, it says, but there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Pete B. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Part two, the Obsession of the Mind, presented by Kathleen O. from California. Thank you so much, Leah. Good morning, everyone. Step one changed my life. Um, it explained what was wrong with me. It explained why my earliest memory centered around food and why I always wanted more. I could never seem to get enough. In the sixth grade, I went, on my, I went on my first of many diets. Some were healthy, many unhealthy. And I had a lot of willpower, so I was successful at losing my 70 plus extra pounds a handful of times. But most attempts would last only a few weeks, maybe a month, but usually only a few days. I would be so uncomfortable mentally and physically, I'd take the bite. And that would trigger the allergy. The phenomenon of craving would become paramount. And page XXX describes drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. If we have the obsession of the mind, we will always go back to the allergy. And if we have the allergy, we will always binge. And every time I'd lose weight successfully, an odd thing would happen. I would think I had control. I'd have a thought that one bite would be okay. I'd take the bite. And find suddenly I couldn't stop eating and I had absolutely no control. Each diet I went on, I thought I had control, but I always gained my weight back and more. I kept repeating this behavior because I had no memory of the pain. 
And page 30, all of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. We get worse, never better. I couldn't understand why this always happened. What was wrong with me? After decades of yo-yoing, the big book came into my life. And I finally learned what was wrong with me. I'm genetically wired this way. I'm biologically mandated to eat. There is no choice. I'm powerless when it comes to controlling my food. And this was good news because I finally got answers to why I couldn't control my eating. But it was bad news because I wanted to be normal. I thought I wanted to be one of those skinny people who takes a bite of dessert and pushes the plate away, stating they're full or it's too rich. And truth be told, I wanted to be a skinny person and eat the whole dessert and more. You know, what's the point of one bite? Page 23. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. I tried to stop. I'd stay stopped for long periods of time, but I'd relapse. And why did I always relapse? Here's where step one changed my life. Relapse happens because even though I had stopped, there would come a time where a thought would consume me that I could eat like a normal person. In the doctor's opinion, they are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort that comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks which they see others taking with impunity. I had successfully lost 50 pounds once by not eating sugar. I worked hard to stop eating sugar. I was committed. I'd abstained from sugar for more than a year. But one New Year's Eve, I sat at the dinner table with friends and dessert was served. I thought... And this thought dominated my mind, that I could eat this dessert this one time, just like all my friends sitting around the table. So with no memory of what sugar did to me in the past, I ate the dessert. And page 23, there is the obsession that somehow, someday, they will beat the game. And of course, that first bite triggered the allergy of the body, the phenomenon of craving set in, and I couldn't stop thinking about that dessert. I began obsessing about it. I went into the kitchen to help clean up and snuck another piece. And the next day, I couldn't shove enough sugar items into my mouth. And I gained 40 pounds in two months. Now, normal people would not believe that I could gain 40 pounds in two months. But I know you guys can believe me. So relapse happens when we get restless, irritable, discontented. These thoughts, there's these thoughts of, I can control this. It's going to be okay. These thoughts take up so much headspace that there's, no room for any other thought. That is the obsession of the mind. There's no memory of the pain and suffering, and step, tells, step one tells me there is no choice. On page 24, we are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against that first drink. We have lost the power of choice. And page 35, what sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats time after time the desperate experiment of the first drink? You know, in Jim's story, he's sober for quite a time. He stops at a roadside place for a sandwich and a glass of milk when suddenly the thought crosses his mind that a little whiskey in his milk couldn't hurt him on a full stomach. Now, anyone who knows an alcoholic knows that is a ludicrous thought. But why doesn't Jim think so? The mental twist, those strange mental blank spots where we forget the pain and suffering of what happens every time we take the bite is the same as Jim. 
We experience disease, dis-ease. These thoughts take possession of our mind, and there's no memory, and there's no choice. You know, every time I relapsed was when I thought, I've got this. I can control this. It's okay this one time. These thoughts would dominate my mind in such a way there was no other thought. I'd have no memory of the pain and think this time I would be different. And that is the obsession of the mind. The problem was the thoughts were a lie. I was in denial and delusional. And page 30, this, the, the idea that somehow someday he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. I'm not a normal eater, and I will never be a normal eater. And step one, I got this. I accept this fact, and I surrender to this fact every day. As long as I keep in fit spiritual condition, the problem is removed, and I have freedom from the food, and I get to live in a normal-sized body and be healthy. And I just want to say happy anniversary, Vision, and thank you so much for helping me get here. Thank you, Kathleen O. Step two came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity, presented by Ruth M. from Missouri. Ruth? Yeah, can you hear me now? I do. Loud and clear. Anyway, um, my call got dropped. Um, Little gerbils here. Anyway, so the first two speakers have have spoken eloquently on step one. So we admitted we are powerless over food, which is talking about a physical allergy, yielding our craving. We admitted we are powerless, uh, that our lives are unmanageable, and that's the second half which is the mental obsession. So we have to look at both parts of the disease. And as we know, if it was just physical, we would just do it anymore. Um, so we have step one, and we have to take these two parts of step one. Uh, and so we begin with entire abstinence, and then that means that the physical allergy and craving doesn't have any chance of doing anything with us. But it says on page 19, the elimination of our drinking is but a beginning. Uh, there it is. So, all right, so we've done that. But the next 11 steps are to deal with the mental obsession. So if I have now had entire abstinence, I don't have any phenomena of craving, and I don't eat compulsively. But that's only going to last so long. I've got to deal with thoughts, which is mostly all of the diseases in the thoughts. So what then is the solution? If I've not drank or not eaten compulsively, what do I got to do next? Well, I've got now spend the rest of the 11 steps dealing with this mental obsession. So let's go to uh, page 25 where it tells us what the solution is. And so we look at the second paragraph, and it says, the great fact is just this and nothing less, that we've had deep and effective spiritual experiences, which have revolutionized our whole attitude towards life, towards our fellows, and towards God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us, which we could never do by ourselves. And in case we didn't get it, we've read it, but in 27, if we look there, we again hear the very same things said by Dr. Carl Jung. And Dr. Carl Jung says, 
Exceptions to cases such as yours have been occurring since early times. Here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. To me, these occurrences are phenomena. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements, ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men are suddenly cast to one side, including a new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. So when I looked at that, when I read that, um, you know, I, I gave up food that I didn't want to. But let's just be honest. I gave it up because I had to. There was no wanting to do it. It was because it had to be because it created so much problems in my life. And so then I want to know what the solution is. Yes, what about this next part? And I read this, and I want to do it, but I can't say I'm 100% excited. I mean, I want to do it, but that doesn't mean excitement's there. But I do want to do it. And there is something there. There's something that's motivating me to want to do it. So I equate this kind of like um, to all the mothers out there that first time you got pregnant, there was some excitement. You really wanted to do this. You wanted to bear this child. You'd gotten pregnant. And, and so you knew that you knew that there was going to be a huge rearrangement of ideas, motives, and attitudes, which once were the guiding forces of your life, was going to have to change, and something was going to have to take the place, because you were soon going to be a mother. And so we're kind of like that. We read this, we get it, we want to do it, but it's still not the same as the moment the baby pops out. That's going to take a little more work. Uh, it's got to be more than the excitement of a pregnancy. And... Uh, and so we're willing to move forward, not actually having the direct experience, but wanting the experience to occur. And there might be a little fear, of course, because it is something new, but it doesn't override us. Assuming we're going to move forward. So when it comes time to do steps 3 through 12, it's like, uh-oh, yeah, we're, we're willing to let, you know, let this be something greater than me running the show here. Okay, and i got to do my part, though. I've got certain assignments i got to do. Okay. Uh, but, you know, when we start doing this after we make that decision, yeah, we're, we're willing, we're all in now, you know, and hey, we say, hey, honey, get me to the hospital, or if it's going to be a midwife, whatever it is, you know, I'm going to need some help here. Okay, and uh, I'm ready, but, you know, that fourth step can be some uh, labor pains. In fact, some of us have very slow labor pains, but okay, we're willing to do that. And, uh, and we're willing for assistance to help us. We're willing to let go of what we've had, which is a life without a child being born. And we're willing to go into something different. And it is a radical rearrangement of ideas and motives, and it is a radical life that we're going to have new. We kind of know that, and we're in the process of it, and we keep doing this, and, yeah, we're willing, and, yeah, we've got to let go of the things that we have thought about our lives. We've got to let them go because we've got a child coming in, and we can tell it's going to happen any minute now. All of that, and we continue to do this rapidly, even increasingly the, the labor pains get more, and the 10, 11, 12 are coming, and, oh, God, get this over. <laughs> it's a brain there, too. Uh, and then when 12 happens and something else happens, when we get to that point where the mental obsession is gone, it does not exist anymore. It's like putting that baby in your arms for the first time. Things are all different. And the moment of childbirth is the moment that what had been was one life, and now what is is a difference. So the old self has died to a new self. A new responsibility is now going to be carried forth uh, that we're going to have to have because now we have something that we did not have before, and it is a, a birth of like a child, and it's a tender little child with much that we have to stay close to God because we can't deviate at all. We're so new to this game called motherhood. 
Um, I kind of look at it like that. And so for me, when I read this the first time, yeah, I understand. Um, I had to make changes. But once I did got to 12 and was recovered, then I read this, and I'm like, oh, my God, now I get it. Now I understand. I, my God has entered into my heart in a way which is indeed miraculous, something that I had no idea. I read it and I understood it, but I didn't understand it until I got through 12. So to go back and read was really the promise of the whole program um, is these two paragraphs I've read. This is telling me where I'm at at the end. And if I'm not here with this unbelievable relationship with God, I don't mean I've evolved and I got a direct connection with God. Most days it's just the duty that I do for that day. Sometimes I get some direct guidance. Uh, but it is different. And so am I willing to do what's different, not have me, because I have two deaths here, the death of food, step one. Now the death of self, steps two through 12. And I'm willing and I'm now there. With these two deaths, I've moved into a, having to take care of a little kid, which is my recovery, which then matures with faith and becomes hopefully closer to God, at least in my experience. It's a revolutionary interaction that God would run my life and not my own self-will. And that's what the big book is saying for me when I have to look at there as a solution. So with that, I pass it back to Zaleo. Thank you very much, Ruth M. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Presented by Russ M. from Pennsylvania. Good morning. Uh, Russ M., recovered compulsive reader outside of Philly. Congrats on this beautiful meeting for six years. We, <laughs> I pray that we have it many, many more years. Thank you for to everyone at that service and coordinate this meeting. It's definitely a godsend. Uh, so, God, I offer myself to thee. To go with me and do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I will help with thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Whew. Step three. This is the absolute hardest step for me. And I have to work this every day. It's not a one-time shot with me. And it's a matter of lack of trust and dependence. And uh, coming up, growing up, I was always doing it myself. I always had to figure it out on my own. But because of that, like on, uh, in the beginning, uh, on, on, on uh, page 60, I was in collision with someone, you know, even though my motives were good, I was, I was creating a lot of problems. Uh, you know, I had to have everything the way I wanted it. If some, if, only if you did it the way I wanted you to do it, that's when I would be happy. When I had total control, where I was getting gratification, never think of someone else. You know, I'd be nice as pie or mean. Whatever way I needed to get it, I would manipulate and when I step back, some of that was just, you know, innate in me. It wasn't like I was trying to do it. I just did it. It's how I reacted. It was, you know, it's all about, all about me. Chaos, tension, frustration, misery, and blame. I blame everybody. You look at me wrong, it's your fault. And it doesn't matter that I cut you off or whatever the situation may be. I had a part in these things. And, you know, I'm, I'm ticked off and mad that my life didn't go a certain way. It's because I've set myself up by trying to do it myself, not being able to uh, have the, uh, the humility to ask someone and be teachable and learn. 
on, uh, excuse me, I'm outside, but uh, learn and be able to accept uh, criticism because it had to be my way. I didn't want to hear it from anyone else. And, you know, you all know I'm a Christian and uh, I, I talk a good game about, you know, surrendering. But I had to be crushed. I had to be smashed to, to, so much, to truly surrender, to really give everything over. And you know what? It still goes on every day. There's situations that I've surrendered that, man, you know, I'm seeing God's hand in it, and I'm letting him teach me and show me and guide me to what I need to be. There's other areas that I'm holding back, but I, you know, it's a process, and I'm learning to totally surrender it. And, um, before all this, before I was smashed and crushed and down at my bottom, I didn't have an awareness. You know, I didn't know this is how it had to be. So now I do. And, you know, with, with the steps, this is how I, I develop it. See, you know, surrender to God, it, it's, it, it, it's coming slowly. You know, it's a process. You know, I got to work this thing my whole life, but I have to continue to refine it. You know, it's not going to snap your fingers and it's going to be over. You know, my hope is I, I look back at where I was just with the food, just on the surface with the food. How many things I did with the food and destroyed lives, relationships, myself, my body. And when I step back and God has, has recovered me, he's healed me, he's restored me. So yeah, if he can do that, he can do it with every other aspect of my life. So it, it, it's funny. It, it is a matter of dependence, right? Not self-dependence, but dependence on God. And, um, the more dependent on God I am, the more stronger I am. The more open I am, the more aware I am, the more the solutions come. They may not be the ones that I want, but they're solutions nonetheless. And it's the way God wants it. Being docile to God's will. Just being a vessel, sitting back and letting him do it. Now, doing your work, I'm not saying put my feet up on a couch and do nothing. I'm saying you got to be aware to what God wants us to do. And I can't do that, you know, when I'm in the food or I'm trying to take something from somebody or trying to, just have my way. It's not like that. It takes humility and really honor, honor to God and, and honor him for who he is. Um, you know, uh, I just missed my one part I had. You know, it's, it's surrendering. That surrendering issue. You know, I have to surrender all these aspects of my life. Like, I, I ain't trying to do that. You know, I, I, I'm, tr- I'm trying to be Dr. Russ. I'm trying to have a perfect family. I'm trying to have the friends that take care of me. I'm trying to get a, you know, my ego because I'm a narcissist and egomaniac. I'm trying to get the attention. But that's not true surrender. And that's why it's a daily, constant process. Because, you, you know, they say these things crop up, right? They, they crop up. They're always cropping up on me. And I'm sure with many others, you know. It's like I need that. You know, working this program, working my spiritual program, you know, just just shows more. The more I work it, the more I surrender because it's showing me the truth about who I truly am and what I truly need. And it's a metanoia, that conversion, that that change, that is life changing. That that is just turns you upside down into surrender to God. You know, on page sixty three. You know, I get choked up thinking about this. And the only thing I really wanted out of life is successfully. Faith, life, like on 60th grade. That's all I ever wanted to do. I don't need the money. 
I, I don't I don't need the adulation or everything. I don't need the focus on me. I just wanted to be successful in life. And I could never do that. I mean just facing life, the regular things, being a you know, emotional Mr. Fix It, you know, being able to take care of my family. And it hit me while I was preparing for this, you know. You know, deep spiritual change is the only thing. That's it. And the more we work on that, the more we surrender and the more God shows his face. And I want to be great in God's eyes. Because if I'm doing that, I'm going to be hopeful. I want to be able to take care of who I need to take care of. And I and I mean others. So uh, I just ran out of time, but I do want to share this one thing with you when I was preparing. This little prayer that came up, it said, I was writing yesterday, and it said, Your will, Lord. Your will, Lord. Show me what you want me, one out of me, and where you want me, and where you want to use me. Make me uncomfortable so I can lean into you more and more in all, all situations and areas of my life. Thank you very much for this opportunity. I'm so blessed by each and every one. Thank you. Thank you, Russ M. Step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Presented by Allison L. from Ohio. Good morning. Thank you so much. Um, happy sixth anniversary to A Vision for You. This is Allison L. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater uh, in Ohio. Um, I've been listening to Vision for four years, and I'm so grateful to this meeting. Um, it gave me hope when I had no hope, and it uh, sent me a clear message that by working the steps, as they're outlined in the big book, that I could recover, and that has indeed been my experience um, I've had an alteration in my personality and my view of life that was not brought about by myself, but uh, by a power greater than myself by working and following these simple steps. Um, so with step four, I followed the instructions that are found in the big book, starting on the bottom of page 63 through page 71. Um, my sponsor guided me. I made outreach calls for support while I did so. I listened to special editions from this meeting on step four. Um, in my five years in program, I've done two formal four steps, and both times I was guided to work on this step for approximately two weeks, and then my sponsor scheduled my fifth step so I knew how long I had and I couldn't procrastinate or wallow around in this step. Um, and this is a, a fact-finding and a fact-facing inventory process, and it had a deadline. Um, I know everyone's experience is different. This is just my experience, and I'm, I'm grateful that it was um, – I was given a limited amount of time to stay in this step because I don't think I could have stayed – me personally, I don't think I could have stayed much longer in this step without picking up the food. I needed to keep moving um, forward through the work quickly so I could get relief that comes, um, especially after the promises in Step 9 and 10. So following the instruction, instructions from the big book, I'm told first list my resentments, those I'm mad at, those things I keep refueling, which is easy enough. They came to mind quickly. I listed them, and then I listed the causes. Um, hardest part of that was keeping it under 20 words of why I was mad at them. But by listening to others' examples and shares, um, you know, I could figure that out, how to do that, keep it down. Um, and then I put check marks, what part of myself was affected. 
that didn't take much thought or effort, self-esteem check, security check, and so on with finances, pride, personal and sex relations, and fear if those things were affected with each resentment. Um, and then the next part was what was unfamiliar and uncomfortable for me. Imagining that these were sick people and praying um, for them, the prayer from page 67, God, this is a sick person just like myself. Help me show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that I would cheerfully grant a sick friend. How can I be helpful to this person? God, save me from being angry. Thy will be done. This was tricky for me because I was mad at people for being sick. Um, so simply imagining they were sick wasn't enough. I had to go a little further. So like my mom, my dad, my grandma, she had died actually from this disease. I already knew they were sick. And in my selfishness, I was mad at them for not getting themselves better for me. Um, I saw these people mainly as their role in my life, how their sick sickness had um, been their fault and they had ruined me by not fixing it. That was my old idea. So I couldn't just think, oh, they're sick. Instead, I had to um, begin looking at things from an entirely different angle, as the big book says. I had to think of these sick people. Um, I had to think of them as sick people, um, sick people that I do have compassion for. So like children, I had to think of them like sick children. They were once children. And when I think of sick children, I realize and can see they haven't done anything in their short lives to cause their own sickness. So I could relate and start from that point and pray for these people I resented. And this opened the door for compassion to start coming in for me. Um, it allowed me um, to see these people that I resented as hurting, suffering humans, not just my mom or my dad or my grandma or so on, but begin to have detachment from myself and see them as separate from my pain. Um, and with this new perspective um, on all those I resented, I could see they were humans who just couldn't resolve their suffering. They were consciously or unconsciously acting out their pain in the world. And I could relate to that because that's what I had been doing in my sickness. Um, I didn't like the way their illness played out or the way it affected me, um, but it was not a reflection of my value or their love for me. Um, it's their own journey and it's separate from mine. Um, once the door to compassion was opened for me with this perspective and praying for them, um, I looked at and continued daily to look at um, my uh, turnaround part, my resentment um, by acknowledging my part in things. Where have I been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and afraid? And this is a valuable skill that I carry into everyday life, which I had learned in step four goes on with me from there. Um, after resentments, I'm instructed to dive deeper into the fears I had already named there and to face any other fears that weren't even tied to these resentments. Um, here's where I saw how much I had been relying on my self-will, my human power, to try to keep order and maintain equilibrium in my life, to keep things harmonious um, so that I could um, try to be happy and feel safe. And um, it's where I also have to admit that relying on myself has not been working. I'm not powerful enough to manipulate the world around me uh, into being some safe, secure place that I think it needs to be in order for me to be okay. And page 68 tells me that I'm now upon the basis of trusting and relying upon God rather than my finite self. I'm here to play the role God assigns me, uh, to humbly rely upon him, and then calamity is matched with serenity. And I ask God in prayer to please remove the fear and direct my attention to what it is that God would have me be and then for me, I have to listen quietly for that response. What words and direction come flowing into me from my higher power's gentle voice? I write those instructions down. What is it that he would have me be? And then I focus on them in my life. 
the big book tells me that then I commenced to outgrow fear. Uh, it doesn't say fear is gone and never comes back. My experience um, has been that most of the fear from my last formal four-step, which was two years ago uh, almost, have left me, um, or they're not as debilitating as they once were. But, for example, I had a, a crippling fear that someone was going to break into my house and hurt my children. Um, before I um, did that last four-step, every night I laid in bed terrified for weeks about this. And I, uh, you know, I finally surrendered to being entirely abstinent, working through the steps quickly. And today in recovery, um, the fear of someone harming my kids will occasionally be triggered. Um, but compared to that, it's very mild. And after I pray and tap into my higher power, I can focus on what he directs me to be and then turn around and be of service to someone else. And that fear will leave me. Um, so obviously there's a lot more to step four. Um, these are just some of the perspective shifts I've experienced um, from the gift of step four, and I continue to use these skills and, and these prayers in my everyday life, um, as well as those I learned in the remaining steps. So I look forward to hearing my fellows um, share on the remaining steps. I'm taking uh, notes, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Allison L. Step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Presented by Melissa C. from New York. Hi, good morning. It's Melissa C., recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And um, my gosh, thank you so much for your service. I'm just thrilled to be a part of this, this great meeting. Um, so, you know, this requires action on our part, this step, which when complete will mean that we have admitted to God to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our defects. And, you know, so, like, this step is like the first step, really, that truly involves another human being. You know, like, the other steps, like, step one is like a, a realization inside myself that I'm, that I'm broken, I'm screwed, I'm failing. And two, like, I need something to help me, um, something much bigger than me. And three, I'm going to seek that thing, whatever it is, and four, I start, you know, putting my defects down, and now five is like, I've got to share this with, with another person, you know, I've got to share it with God, which um, clearly God doesn't really require the admission, like God knows everything I've done, but there's some act of humility in going before this higher power with what my defects are, um, you know, and then there's the... the um, the admission to yourself, which seems like, why would I need to admit anything to myself? Don't I know everything? But um, no, I really, I knew nothing. You know, um, I had been uh, swimming in like a sea of Ben and Jerry's. I was in a food coma and, and I knew nothing. Like I could not see what was true. Um, and so um, I really did need that third component, the a person. I needed another individual. Um, you know, I um, we're told we have to do this with another human being, and you know, it says on page seventy-two, this is perhaps difficult, especially discussing our defects with another person. We think we've done well enough admitting these things to ourselves. There's doubt about that. In actual practice, we usually find a solitary self-appraisal insufficient, and so. Like, here's why it's insufficient. Um, because when I self-appraise, I wind up giving value to the things which really have no value. 
um, or which have, like, outlived their value. And, um, you know, so, like, if you're going to appraise your house, you need a professional because otherwise um, I inflate what it's worth. Like, every room has a story. There's a history in every, in every corner, and it's the same thing with my defects. Like, every defect, there's an emotion involved there. Every one of my defects came with a story, a backstory, a reason, a situation. And if I didn't share this with another human being, um, the story grows greater, the focus on the story grows greater, and the defect becomes a, a justification. It's, it's, it's an excuse. Um, and I can't live that way anymore. And, you know, the beautiful thing is, is that when you do this with someone who's unaffected, um, they help you put your finger on what those things are. I, I needed a witness to help me and guide me. And I needed the humility. I needed to, to have a little, uh, I needed to let go of that ego because for so long um, I was in charge of promoting what I think was a dying business. And, um, and I needed to stop running this advertising campaign that I was running for myself and just get honest. You know, and um, so for me, my, my fifth step was with my sponsor. And, um, you know, there's the second part was that, um, like, for me, it, it, it happened in more than one setting. I needed more than one session. I was directed by the book to carefully review what I'd done and ask if there was anything I omitted. And I, in fact, I found when I sat quiet, um, and and thought, are my stones properly in place? Have I skimped on the cement? Um, I knew I was going to have to get really honest or I was going to eat again. Like, that was my motivation. I didn't want to eat. I didn't want to go back to the food. And so um, I... I was hanging on to some of the some of the greater defects, um, and I wound up telling my sponsor that I needed to sit with her again and tell her the whole story, and I did. And you know, it doesn't really matter today, like as I'm sitting and sharing with all of you what it was, because um, I don't even know. Like in hindsight, it was what I thought I needed to tell her, but I I just needed to get rigorously honest and. I felt I had a lot of guilt, and um, and there was a lot of fear involved behind my guilt. And when I sat with her again, um, I experienced the, the fifth step promises. You know, we are delighted. <laughs> we can look the world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. Our fears fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of our Creator. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. The feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. We feel we were on the broad highway, walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. And so what happened for me, when I sat with my sponsor that day and I let everything out that I had been holding on to, um, I felt this. I felt the nearness of my creator. I felt um, something happened and that I realized that this path I was on was about something much greater than food and weight. And, yeah, the desire to eat was like it was a huge chunk of it was removed that day. Like I remember I looked outside um, and the world looked different. I really could 
be alone at perfect peace and ease. And I began to see that my addiction, um, it wasn't really a problem anymore. It, it became a fact. And then I began to see that it was an actual gift, which was crazy. You know, to view what was my greatest problem became a great asset because it, it, it kind of forced me to get on this highway. And, and I found out, wow, this highway is really broad, broad, and there's plenty of room here for me. And I felt nearer to God. And, you know, wrapping up really quick as my time is running out, it's an incredible gift to not only have this happen for yourself, but every time I'm a part of someone's fifth step with them, I, as a sponsor this time, I experience this again and again. And um, I see it happen in them. And then, and so it happens for me as well. And um, thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. Step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Presented by Amy G. from Maryland. Good morning. My name is Amy G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. So awesome. Happy anniversary vision for you. Step six. Let me read it. Entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Well, there's a pretty good paragraph right here in the big book about step six, and I'm going to read it real quickly. Uh, Wait a minute. Let me just set my timer, which is not working. So, Leah, you can time me. If we can answer to our satisfaction, then we look at step six. We have emphasized willingness as being indispensable. Are we now ready to let God remove from us all these things which we have admitted are objectionable? Can, we, can he now take them all, every one? If we still cling to something, we will not let go. We will ask God to help us to be willing. So as so succinctly said about step five, you know, on page 75, it says here we are building an arch through which we can walk a free man at last. And um, as the other person sharing on step five was saying, you know, we, we created by now, if, if we've come to this far, we've created a list and we've admitted what those character defects, what that list is for us. And it's a, quite an, uh, I don't know about you all, it was quite an awareness for me to understand what those character defects were and um, how important it was to really take a look at this because for me the springboard upon which the mental obsession rests was those character defects so if you look up defect in the dictionary it says it's a flaw something that creates an unreasonable risk of harm in its normal use and i certainly prior to program was using my character defects frequently normally and it had a harm associated with it i had those character defects in spades you know and I came across these defects you know honestly I I used them to I attempt it was my attempt to get my needs met you know they were developed over years exacerbated my by compulsive overeating I mean we as humans all have flaws but as a compulsive overmeter for me they were deadly because they led to that restlessness irritability discontent and then of course triggered the mental obsession which is the greater aspect of my disease and all of a sudden putting a bite of my binge foods in my mouth became the best idea I had all day. So what were some of these character defects? I mean, I don't know about you all, but at one point I was looking them up in the dictionary to really understand and expand on what my character defects were. And there was anger, pride, self-pity, grandiosity, jealousy, being a victim, greed, resentment, uh, control, 
selfishness, impulsiveness, fearlessness, I mean fearfulness, envy. There was quite the list. But for me, step six about being entirely ready to have them removed, when I looked at these character defects, you would think I would have said, am I ready to have these removed? Of course I'm, I'm ready. It's just a little paragraph in the big book, but it's an important paragraph to me because when I break down step six into into a couple parts, it's about being aware, it's a revelation, it's about readiness. And for me, it was really that awareness of what those character defects and to what level they went to. You know, there's a joke that goes around the room, you know, you let go of character defects in the order they're killing you. Well, I mean, sure, I, I didn't want to be a thief anymore. I mean, I stole money, I, I lied, I cheated. I didn't want to do any of those major character defects anymore. They were pretty easy to sort of let go and think, okay, God, yeah, I'm ready. But in reality, what about the, the lesser defects, the, the more cunning and baffling parts of my character flaw? And if you want to expand on that, if you go to page uh, 68 in the AA, AA 12 and 12 or read the entire, 12 step, uh, the entire six step, it expands on that. But to give you some examples of my, quote, lesser yet deadly character flaws. I mean, what about not lying anymore, but omitting by lying by omission and not saying something? And no, maybe I didn't resent you what you had, even though I wanted it anymore with that kind of resentment, because we know resentments are deadly. But sure, I could covet a little bit. And what about gossip? Okay, no, maybe I wasn't going to talk behind your back anymore, but I would stand and sit in a group of people talking about you and not saying anything, but I would still be there, sort of a vicarious participation to make me feel superior. I mean, there was all sorts of types of character defects. And with that awareness came the revelation, was that was I truly ready to let go of some of these character defects? And, oh, by the way, some of them I felt just as powerless to let go of as I did with the food. The realization was that I could not change myself, but I needed to have that personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. How was I going to do? How was I going to do that? And of course, this is where that revelation of powerless means, am I ready and who's going to relieve me of these character defects? It's going to be God. And that's when we move into step seven, where we humbly realizing my inability to remove them, where I actually humbly ask God to do it in God's time frame and however God seeks to do so. But what's interesting about that, too, is, you know, most people think, well, then you're just going to sit there and wait. Well, the principle to step six is willingness. And that means, am I willing to daily question my willingness to change? Am I willing to actively seek and practice changing? Am I going to try to do that on a regular basis? You know, God in this program gives me what it takes to change. I, I truly believe that in my heart. But it's my job to act and behave like the change has occurred. I mean, am I going to actively participate in some of those lesser defect activities, or am I going to try to do something differently? Will I do it perfectly? Absolutely not. But I'm going to actively change. I'm not just going to wait till a character defect is killing me to try to let go of it. I'm going to actively seek on a regular basis to be the way I believe God wants me to be today and believe that God will equip me to do that, to not act out on those character defects. For me, this is a lifelong process. Step six is something that I am aware of, and step seven, as I live in the maintenance steps of 10, 11, and 12. It's God's job to remove those character defects as he sees fit, but it's my job to be ready, to be there when 
um, and be and be entirely willing to have them let go. There's a great, great quote in the Daily Reflections, or actually it's from As Bill Sees It, where Bill writes, we recovered alcoholics are not so much brothers in virtue as we are brothers in our defects and in our common strivings to overcome them. To me, that is so perfect because, you know, we don't do this alone anymore. We do this with our fellows in this program. We work together and with our higher power. And for me, that's with God. This is a lifelong, lifelong process for me. And at varying degrees, these character defects get, lo- get, get, given, um, get removed. You know, awareness and self-introspection and all those things, to me, those are the key to, to my spiritual growth. And the big book says that my recovery is contingent on the maintenance of a spiritual condition. So for me, that self-introspection that goes on regularly about my character defects or how I grow in my relationship with my higher power and my spiritual connection, my spiritual growth, my spiritual maturity, if you will. And so I'm grateful to be part of this. And with that, I will pass. Thank you very much, Amy G. Step seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings presented by Adam S. from Missouri. Can you hear me, Leah? I do. Thank you. Okay. Hi, this is Adam S., recovered in St. Louis. Um, Thanks for everybody being online. Um, It's such a privilege to be here with all you brave souls doing this work, no matter where you are in recovery. Um, Steps 7 and 10 are my favorite steps. It's kind of hard to talk about 7 without 10. Uh, but I'm sure someone will talk about 10 and do a wonderful job. Um, the the quote, I'm just going to read the prayer on 76. It says, when ready, we say something like this. My creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. We have now completed step seven. Um the principle behind step seven is humility. And um, I think that's so important. And I think that's the, 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 the birth of recovery, you know, Bill Wilson and uh, the AA 12 and 12 and step one talks about how every drunk needs enough humility just to get in the room. And if you're on the line today or quote unquote in the room, you're doing something right. Um, and there's some fundamentals that I want to recap that people have so beautifully spoken about. And that's, it's the twofold illness of an allergy and an obsession. And um, what I always say about the allergy and the obsession is you won't win. You, you will not be able to beat it. If you eat trigger ingredients, you will stay in the food um, as evidenced um, by my experience and by Dr. Silkworth's two letters and pages 21 through 25 and page 44 I don't have power, choice, and control over food. I can't choose to eat healthy. I can't make healthy food decisions like the dietitian and the personal trainer wanted me to. Um, in my mind, this obsessive, addicted mind, it'll tell me to eat. It'll say things like, you can't abstain on Thanksgiving. You can't abstain on vacation. Do with that uh, that trauma therapist said, it's about self-love. It's about intuitive eating. You can't do this. You know, those people in OA are crazy, you know, and the obsession, just like in the doctor's opinion, when Dr. Silkworth talks about how we're irritable, restless, and discontent, there's a nice cycle in one of the paragraphs, you know, there's going to be emotional pain. There's going to be the first bite. There'll be the allergy. There'll be the craving and there'll be the spree. And I spent so long in my life 
caught in that cycle, allergy craving spree, allergy craving spree, allergy craving spree, and I didn't think there was any way to get out. And I tend to think of the allergy and the obsession, the twofold physical illness stacked on top of the malady. And what I always say is that all step work should be aimed at the malady. That's the battle that we fight today, the rest of our lives, um, like an iceberg. The tip, you see the allergy. You see, oh, this person's obese. They're, they're in the food. There's the obsession that dwells beneath that that drives us back to take the first bite. But underneath, the vast majority of the iceberg is this deep, huge structure that most of us won't have access to when we're in the food, right? Because it's, it's underneath it, you know? And I, and I always joke that, you know, life isn't perfect just because you can fit in your skinny jeans now. You know, I've lost an enormous amount of weight, but I still have to do battle with my malady, you know. And it's almost like a horror movie. I don't know how you watch horror movies, but I don't watch horror movies. And if I do, I keep my eyes closed most of the time. I watched The Exorcist when I was a teenager and didn't sleep for four nights. And But that's the stuff. It's It's the stuff that really disturbs us. It is a deep primal wounding it's a deep existential fear a pain and an agony that drives us so there's the malady there's this horrible emotional pain the the obsession tells us to take the bite it will outsmart us the obsession is relentless and if i take that trigger ingredient i'm going to eat you know and for me the way that that i work through my step seven through the through step 10 is sort of a vehicle as i reach out and i speak to other addicts I speak to my tribe every single day. There's uh, three men who know everything about me. And we, we call it a disturbance. There's some sort of disturbance. There's something in my life right now that I am not okay with. And that's made up of three things. It's made up of a belief, a fear that drives that belief, and a defect that is activated out of that fear. It could be anything. A core belief I have is that I'm not a good man. I'm a fraud. And it's just a matter of time before this thing all you know just comes unraveled. And everyone's going to see me for what I really am, this disgusting man, driven by fear. And what's the fear? I'm not going to be okay. It's all going to, it's all going to go to hell. I'm not going to be okay. And that activates defects. It activates self-pity and arrogance and rage and anger and, um, you know, lust, greed, materialism, prejudice, you know. And I look at all that. And another thing I'm fond of saying is that awareness is recovery. Perfection is not recovery. Awareness is recovery. I get calls all the time just to be able to say I'm struggling or I lied or just to be able for someone to call me and say I was a bitch to my husband. I lost my temper with my kids. Awareness is recovery. Even just to have the humility to pick up the phone, the awareness through abstinence, the numbing effect's gone, and now I have access to this pain, even to be able to acknowledge that it's there doesn't mean you have to be perfect and do it. I don't think we're in charge of removing our defects. I've got to, I've got to have enough humility. I've got to humbly ask that God can remove my shortcomings, you know, but just to be aware of them is a big deal. That's the path to recovery that a good sponsor teaches us when they teach us to write a four-step inventory. They hear us out in five. They're going to probe us and try and get us to a cop to that, our own part in that fourth column of the inventory. You know, and then we'll see the defect in six. We'll ask for it to be relieved in seven. We clean up our mess in eight and nine. And this is a process where we can really practice six to seven spiritual principles every, every day through the vehicle of step 10. 
And I always say, you know, defects, they're like blockages. They're blocks between God, you know, God, that bright, brilliant, benevolent, loving, unconditionally loving light in the world that created us in its likeness and image. And it's almost like, you know, I have a medical background. I'm a medical practitioner. And, you know, when I see someone, when I worked the ER and someone would come in and they'd go into cardiac arrest and we'd, you know, I'd jump on their chest and we'd pump on their chest and inject them with adrenaline and shock them and try and revive them. People don't wake up one day and just go into cardiac arrest. It's, it's, it's years and years of blockages, poor choices, inflammation in the vessels, stretching of the valves within our hearts. And it doesn't just start with a flat line. We don't just flat line. We, you know, we struggle. We, we, we run out of breath. We get short of breath. We slow down. We become more sedentary. We put on more of that dangerous belly fat, you know, and it's a slow process. And what I always tell people when they're coming in, they've hit bottom. I always say, this is a spiritual emergency. We've got to do something. This is a major ordeal. This disease, through those three areas, the allergy, the obsession, and the malady, it will absolutely destroy us. It, it is cunning, baffling, powerful. It is deceitful, confusing, and overpowering, you know. And, you know, I, just the last thing here, finishing up, you know, I always say simple is best. If I'm working with a newbie who's in the food, I've got to, I've got to give them a message of depth and weight that they can understand and work with. And for me, I always say this, there's only one problem. You know, we can show up in fear or love. God is loving, unconditionally loving. God's not even unconditionally loving. Unconditional would have to be just opposed to conditional. God's love is beyond that. And so if there's only one problem, no matter if you're disturbed, if you're in the food, if you're, if you're abstinent but thinking about eating, if you're, if you're abstinent and you don't have an obsession to eat but you're just dying on the inside, you're depressed, you're afraid, there's only one problem. You've lost your connection to that light. You've lost your connection to that love. And that's why we're here. And it's okay, and we can all show up and be humble enough to know that I, there will be blocks in my life repeatedly. You know, I'm 36 years old. I'll probably hopefully be here another 50 years or so. I will have to work out this malady every single day. I will have to be humble enough to know that I go into defect, humble enough to do the work, to see the fear, to see the beliefs, and give those to my loving God. You know, it will always come down to that fear puts us in defect, God will put us back in touch with that love. And it's only in that way that we're going to be able to show up and let that light within us get brighter. So then as, you know, someone, a practitioner of 12-step recovery, we can be a light for other people. God wants to use us with our talents for some of it speaking, doing service, being a treasurer, whatever. God will use us to make the world a better place. And if there's one thing I can do when I wake up and kneel at my bed, you know, I always say, pray before you put pants on. Get up, prayer first thing in the morning, and just offer this to God and say, use me. Keep me sober, abstinent. Use me for good in this world. Make this world better because I showed up in it today. So that's all I have. Thank you so much for letting me share. Thank you, Adam S. Step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Presented by Harlan G. from Arizona. Thank you very much, Leah. Uh, am I being heard? You are. Oh, good. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. The first thing I want to talk about is why. Some of those people that I had harmed were bigger jerks than I ever was. 
And some of those people that I have harmed, I have successfully gotten away from. I don't see them anymore. And some of those people I have harmed was years ago. Who cares? Why do we do this step? The reason that this step is vital, because this information is, is so informative, the reason that this step is so vital is because it puts me in touch with who I am as a person when I am in my disease. What is the effect of my defects of character on myself and other people? What destruction have I wrought? Because when I did step four, which is where this list will come from, the list for eight will come from my inventory. And there may be a few names here and there that I had no resentment, fear, or sexual harms, so that I, I, I will have some people on there that I didn't have in my inventory. But essentially what this is, is this is telling me who I am as a person. Now, why is that so important? Because we've already talked about step one, right? We've talked about the twist of the mind. And the twist of the mind to do something to myself that I know is injurious, that I know is killing me, like eating Milky Way bars or Kit Kat bars, why would I do that? The reason that I do that is because of the buildup of human emotions and when I have harmed people and I am afraid to face them, I am afraid to see them, that is going to cause me fear. That is going to cause me guilt and shame and horror and remorse. And those emotions within me are intolerable without the medication that a Kit Kat bar or an Oreo cookie can instantly provide. The reason that I eat Kit Kat bars is because the Kit Kat bar does something for me that it does not do for other people. It gives me an instant sense of ease and comfort because the pain of not eating one because of the guilt, the fear, the shame, the remorse, and the horror of what I have done by stealing their money and lying to them and gossiping about them and doing whatever else I did to harm them is too much for me to bear. There are going to be three side effects of working these steps. I'm going to be right with God. I'm going to be right with myself. And I'm going to be right with my fellow human being. And the purpose of this divinely mastered by God is so that I could walk among the people of earth unafraid of who I'm going to see today, unafraid of what I've done to them because those harms have been left untouched. That's why I'm going to become willing to embark on a humbling process of making amends to people that I have harmed. Now, there are four impediments to God. And if I'm going to be free of this illness for, for today, I'll never be cured, but if I'm going to be free to, to, from today, I am told repeatedly in this book that I have an illness that only a spiritual awakening will conquer. I cannot have a spiritual awakening with unmade amends. There are four impediments. An impediment is something which stops or slows progress. 
the four impediments to God are a resentment that I will not let go of, step four. A secret that I will not tell, step five. A vicarious thrill that I will not stop, step six and seven. And a restitution that I will not make, steps eight and nine. And I'm also called to remember that it was agreed at the beginning that I would be willing to go to any length for victory over food. That's from page 58, and it's also from page 76, and we're going to be introduced to it later on too. Now on the next page, from where this step is introduced, it says why I was born, why I'm still alive in spite of my great effort to kill myself, and why I survived this illness thus far, it says on page 77, our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. Can I truly be of maximum service to God if I'm afraid to see Joe, if I'm afraid to see Mary? because I owe them money and I've lied to them and I've character assassinated them and I've said ugly, horrible things about them to others? No, I cannot. No, I cannot. And so this step is a vital step. And it is a vital step in that it teaches me who I am in the disease and where I want to go. I liken this step to being at a mall and you see the map and you want to go to a certain store and what do you see first? You are here. Here is where I am in the disease. And that's why this step is vital. Before stopping, I want to take the time I have left to express my heartfelt gratitude to a vision for you. I have been in these rooms. Next February, it will be 40 years that I'm in these rooms. And I've heard a lot of garbage. This is a place that I can go where I hear a pure, uncut OA message. From the bottom of my heart, I want to thank each and every one of you that have lit, have lit up my life with your phone calls. But I especially want to thank God for vision for you. I want to thank KDF, our treasurer, and I want to thank Melanie, and, Melanie C. and Leah M. The sun will never set on the miracle that you've set forth on the world. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. This is the renaissance of OA. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Harlan G. Step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Presented by Greg B. from California. Good morning, Leah. Can you hear me okay? I can, yes. Thanks. Uh, hard act to follow as we move to the Pacific Coast. I'm Greg B., a recovered compulsive overeater and uh, alcoholic, actually. Uh, you know, for me, step nine, um, you know, it's actually um, to go to somebody and uh, make direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so but injure them or others. What does that mean? Well, what that means for me and what that has meant for me and what I've learned through time, I've been in program uh, in, in AA for 35 years, and I've been in OA for 10. And, uh, you know, we talked about the columns. We talked about the, the making the list, uh, the resentments, the fears, and all that kind of stuff. 
but really it's about the fourth column. Why do we write the fourth column about our part? My, I say this a lot, and I'm sorry if I sound like a broken record, but it's really not about my part. It's about the stuff I did. Because if I think about my part, then I'm focusing on all the other stuff that people did to me. It's about what I've done. But why do we do this? Harlan went into this, uh, and, and why do we actually want to go and face these people? Because I'm afraid, because I'm resentful. But ultimately, it's for us. It is for you. It is for you, the person who's doing the step. You get the benefit of having a spiritual experience. You get the benefit of having, being able to look the world in the eye. And uh, you get the benefit. This is all benefit. This is good for you. I don't, know, I don't, I don't like, I'm going to be running a, a 10K in a, few, in a little bit here. I, I, I don't necessarily like the exercise, but I like the benefit of it. Um, you know, I, and so this is this is really what, uh, you know, there's a huge benefit. And the benefit is that there's no skeleton in my closet. There's no boogeyman that's going to get out to get me. There's there's no boss, ex-boss that's going to pop up and say, um, hey, you, you know, you owe me this or you did this to me. No, because I've, I've taken care of this stuff in this step. So just, you know, some of my experiences... I just want to talk a little bit about some of the experiences that I've had by going to these people. Early on in my AA career, uh, I went to a teacher. When I was in high school, I used a lot of drugs and did a lot of things. And uh, I vandalized my school. And then, of course, being a good alcoholic uh, addict, um, I, I, I bragged about it. And then I, got a, I was uh, approached by the police about this thing, and I, of course, I'd lied to them, you know, straight-faced, and I didn't really do this stuff. Well, when I got sober, I, this was on my list, that I vandalized this thing, and that this teacher uh, was after me. So I went to this guy, and I wrote him a letter, because I didn't know where he lived. I wrote him a letter, and I said, uh, you know, I did these things to you, and uh, you know, I'm really sorry about this, I'm now in the program of recovery, and um, you know, I, I did these things. He writes me a letter back, and he said, I understand exactly what you're doing. Uh, I appreciate your offer of restitution. I'm also sober at this time. I've also stopped drinking. So this person had a resentment against me, just like I had against them. This person was now sober, and this person told me to donate the money to, um, my, to a charity of my choice. Uh, which, of course, is, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous in my case. Now, I don't know. Not all uh, nine steps are that dramatic, but the feeling that I got of being one with this person, being one with my creator, I mean, that was a spiritual awakening. Wow. This person that hated me um, and that I hated as a result uh, is recovering. What a world we live in, right? Um, there was a boss that fired me. Um, this was in OA. Uh, he fired me, and I, and I ended up working on a job with this guy. And so I, I asked if we could have lunch. We sat down. I said, you know, does anything, you know, that I did, because I know he got fired. He left not too long after I got fired. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I truly apologize for anything I did or anything I did wrong. You know, I, I'm truly sorry for that. Uh, and, and, you know, I was wrong to, you know, behave that way. It's important to say we were wrong, too. 
Um, and, and he said, uh, you know, and same with me here too, you know. But the, the actual thing is, if this guy wouldn't have fired me, um, I wouldn't have had time to spend with my wife because I'd be working all the time, and I wouldn't have an, an eight-year-old daughter that I have now. So, I mean, things like that happen. But the, the important thing is the change on the inside. The important thing is that, you know, to not live in fear and resentment. And if I see this person walking down the street, I'm not going to have that feeling, oh, there's that son of a, you know, that anger, that resentment. Because ultimately, the fear, the resentment, it hurts us. It hurts us. And then, as my friend uh, uh, says, you know, that build up a human emotion is going to cause me to do something. And if it doesn't cost me eat, it'll cause me to do something wrong. And eventually, the last thing that will happen is I'll eat. And then all bets are off because then the obsession will completely take over and every hour of my day will be spent trying to feed that obsession. And I certainly won't be working any steps. And I'm probably not going to be going to any meetings. And it's just an endless cycle. And so why do we keep doing this? Because it's not like I do one ninth step and that's it. I, I have to continuously work this. You know, and there's lots of other examples like this, but I won't go on on the examples. But we do this for ourselves. We do this to clean our insides. We do this so that we're at one with our creator and we can look the world in the eye and be one. My purpose, uh, like my friend just said, you know, my purpose is to be of maximum service to God, to my creator, and, and certainly in recovery. When I'm in, re- when I'm in a meeting, and I go to face-to-face, by the way. It's really important to be a meeting participant, not just a meeting attender. Uh, there are a lot of phone meetings, but it's important to be part of and to, to, to actively get involved. Um, you know, I know that I'm part of um, the spiritual awakening. And then the important thing is to the other 23 hours to take it into your life, uh, you know, on the street, uh, in traffic, wherever it is that you're challenged take it there and to then imperfectly continue to work the steps uh, and work the step in my life. Um, that's my timer. I really appreciate this meeting. I appreciate uh, you, Leah, uh, everybody, and uh, everybody coast to coast who's part of this group. And uh, if you're struggling, if you're suffering, please keep coming back. Keep coming back. It, it's going to work for you. Thanks. Thank you, Greg B. Step 10, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Presented by Kathy Jo P. from Minnesota. Good morning. This is Kathy Jo P., a recovered compulsive overeater in Minneapolis. I was in OA in the 80s. Um, for about seven years, and I was abstinent, and I was at goal weight. I got to step five six times, but I maybe did one or two amends, and I called them, they were more like drive-by shootings. I did not do direct amends. I did not spend time with another person truly looking at how God wanted me to change and hear them share how I had harmed them. I did not do it the way it's outlined in the big book. And I was truly white-knuckling. I remember at times I almost wanted to eat my fingers off. 
And eventually I left OA. And I was out for 22 years. I came back six years ago over 300 pounds. And I gave up sugar. And I did a few fifth steps. This time around, I did no amends. When I got to these meetings of A Vision for You, June 2016, my marriage was not good. I was in collision with most everyone. And I had lost and gained the same 11 pounds three times. Because of sugar, I was, off, I was down 55 pounds, but I kept coming back up the scale. And I was pretty miserable. So June 26, 2016, I came to these meetings and I got a step sponsor. And I can now tell you that I have done all of the steps. I did all my amends, 61 amends, direct with my sponsor giving me direction for each amend. I wrote checks. I met with people and I reconnected to God, my higher power that can help me stay away from this disease. I loved how someone earlier and now I can't remember who it was, step one said, I think it was Pete, that um I will never be cured of the addiction to the food. I will always have that. And it really feels like this is about step 10 too because I have that power that can help me with my behaviors that need to be changed every single day so I can stay connected to that power. So I tap into that power to have these defects and these behaviors change so that I can have that power help me stay away from what kills me. And that is access to me every day. This is the one day at a time step. This is a step where we work four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine several times a day so that we can stay connected to that power that helps us. And like I said, I now can tell you I have neutrality with the food, and I am so grateful to all of you in this room with me that have helped me get connected to my higher power by doing this work. When I first started this, I was so afraid about doing it right. I stopped a few times with my sponsor, and I said, I talked to somebody, and they said this. I talked to someone, and they told me I should do it this way. But I kept feeling reassurance from God that God gave me this guide and God gave me this path. And this was just to trust this process. About a year, in, year into it, I found out that people did something called relationship ideals. Somehow or another, I missed that. And at first, I got disturbed. But then I felt that reassurance again. And eventually, I did do my relationship ideals. So I want to tell you, there's no perfect way to do this. And when I do 10 steps, there are people that have spent an hour on the phone with me. I almost call that spiritual surgery. And if I call Harlan, we're off the phone in 90 seconds. What I want is I want that turnaround, again, so that I can get reconnected and reconnected to you and to God so that I can be at peace. I have gotten down on my knees in a bathroom. I have written it out. It's, it's 
all good. <laughs> what I'm trying to do here is to have my ego smashed again so that I can get right with God. Um, in this text, it says that we continue to take personal inventory. We continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. The word continue is in this paragraph way more than two times. It's maybe even five. I counted them and now I forgot. But what we're doing here is we are entering into the world of the spirit so that we can grow in understanding and effectiveness. Here I talk about these are where I'm working out those muscles that need to grow. These muscles that were very weak when I came in. These muscles of service. These muscles of keeping my trap shut and listening to others. These muscles of showing up differently. Having a happy heart. Not complaining. These are things that I did not know how to do when I came in. It talks about doing this vigorously. I looked up that word last night. One of the words that popped out for me with that is fierceness. It does say that these will crop up. It's going to happen. We are going to be disturbed. At times, I have delayed amends. I don't know why. I think I felt like, you know, I don't want to share what I did wrong. I don't want to make amends. I'm embarrassed for what I did. But every single time that I do that, I am allowed to feel the sunlight of the spirit. I also want to say, it says with another person. It doesn't say with our guide. It doesn't say with our sponsor. It doesn't even say with a compulsive overeater or an alcoholic. I was in Mexico and I got a flat tire. My husband was driving. He went over a pothole at the dark, over a hill in a scary area in my opinion, and our cell phones didn't work. I thought for sure we were going to die and the bandits were on their way. I grabbed my 15-year-old daughter and I said, will you go for a walk with me, honey? And I did a 10-step with my daughter. To this day, I have not told my husband that I was upset with him that night for speeding over that pothole. That's an absolute, absolute miracle. In the past, I would have stood over his shoulder the whole entire time he worked on that tire in the dark and told him how mad I was at him and how he did it wrong. I am changing. God is changing me. I am showing up differently, and I'm able to stay connected one day at a time by working these steps. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy Joe P. Step 11, thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Presented by Craig F., from Oklahoma. Hello, Leah. Am I being heard? Yes, thank you. Great. Good morning. Thank you. Um, okay, we're on step 11. I want to start by saying that, um, you know, one of the things that uh, that I would hope that uh, especially a newcomer might get out of hearing these presentations this morning is how interwoven these steps all are. That None of them really stand on their own. That that um, you know, it's not even you know. I've heard it compared to a tower. You know, we have to build one on top of another, one, two, three. But it's really more to me like a web. You know, where where the the strength of one step uh, it, it relies on the strength of another. That the quality of my recovery is going to be uh, proportional to the depth of my surrender. And uh, so. 
we're we're on a uh, just a part of that web here that that uh, uh, we're going to talk about. So I used to think when I looked at this step that it was uh, uh, oh later on down the road they're going to want me to pray more, and 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 that that sounded good. Uh, and I prayed, so I wasn't really too thoughtful about this step, and uh, I held onto that for a long time, and until I I got it. Uh, until I really worked these steps, until I really had that that spiritual experience, and 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 I came to understand what I've come to understand is that um, that these steps Harlan said that these steps are are that help us to get right with God, others, and ourselves, and 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 that that is the process that we do in steps one through nine. It gets we get right with God, uh, others, and ourselves. And in doing that process and getting right, it, we've opened up uh, the the pathway, the the communication lines with God, clear up. Where where you know I I was more able to feel God in my prayers. I was more able to feel God's presence in my life. And 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 now we come to the growth step of eleven. And 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 the part of the function of this step is to keep me right with God, others, and my and Myself. In other words, uh, if I uh, uh, am done my tenth step reviews when things are critical, but in in in, thir- in eleven, there's also uh, a a review that's done, a daily review, and and that review is purpose is to keep that stuff from building up, to keep it, you know, it's it says uh, we. When we retire at night, we constructively review our day where we're resentful, selfish, dishonest, afraid, owe an apology, and we kept something to ourselves which we should have shared. Were we kind and loving towards all? What could we have done better? Were we thinking of others or thinking of ourselves most of the time? Or were we thinking of what we could pack into the stream of life? Um, you know, and then we're careful not to drift into remorse and worry and morbid reflection. And, and so... Uh, when then we ask God what corrective actions we need to make. In other words, it's it's a it's not the the the, the great big review that we do uh, in uh, eight and nine, and it's not the emergency review we do in ten, but it's the the review we do each day, and and that's where the growth is to to. Uh, um, to be able to do that on the small things, this, the gentle corrections, as the pilot instructor told me, you know that we that we learn how to to simply nudge it a little bit. You know, when we drive, we don't yank the wheel, and, and uh, we we keep it between the lines by gentle corrections. By uh, and that that'll step eleven is a gentle correction. I want to read the promises real quick in step 11 and the promises are um, uh, uh, were very important to me and and it, it says we can employ our mental faculties with insurance that's because our our uh, uh, path is clear our thought life will be placed on a mu- on a much higher plane because our connection is clear we relax and take it easy we don't struggle we're often surprised at how the right answers come after we've tried this for a while what used to be the hunch or the occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. 
Well, we can see that's because our connection with God has been cleared up. Our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more of a plane of inspiration. We'll come to rely on it. And, and I, again, uh, we can see that it's because our connection with God, um, you know, uh, we can easily see why selfish prayers didn't work because our connection with God has been cleared up. And we're in much less danger of excitement, fear, worry, self-pity, and foolish decisions. We become much more efficient. We don't tire easily. It works, it really does, because our connection with God has been cleared up, and we're keeping it clear, and we're improving it uh, by working this step. And, you know, I, I want to say that, that when I talk about doing things, you know, I, I, I have a, a prayer I say before my feet hit the floor. I set my alarm. Uh, to go off every two hours through the day and I stop and I pray and when I, I do a review at night and I do a guided meditation and I do a, what I call my fervent prayer uh, in the evening. And when I say I do those things, I don't do them perfectly. You know, I, I would hate to, to lead anybody to believe that uh, that I've never missed a day because there are gaps in my log, my my journal that I do my review in, um, uh, and many gaps. And you know, the old me, the perfectionist me would say, if I missed, why even bother to do it? You can't do it. You're, you know, you're you're just not that disciplined. It, it, but it's okay today, you know. Uh, I, I, if I have a miss, I, I can get back into action and pick it up and, it's, and, and not incriminate myself because my connection with God has been improved. So um, I want to tell a story. Um, here at the end, and that is that, you know, I I, I had my hospital experience. I've shared about that before. Uh, I, I got the number for vision. I started listening to these meetings. I got a, a great sponsor. Thank you, Harlan. And I and I started to work this program uh, as as much as like my hair was on fire as I knew how to do. Um, and things were going great, and and I got in recovery, and, and a, you know, in about a, a year and 15 months or so into this thing, um, well, actually in January, uh, I was a uh, I was had my tickets and my reservation was all ready to go to the to the birthday party in in uh, L.A. and I and I had a. Uh, uh, a problem and I went to the emergency care and I ended up not being able to go. I had to have emergency surgery. Um, and, and that surgery went well. I was only in the hospital a week and, and, uh, you know, I've not had any complications directly from the surgery, but I had a, a, vac a flu vaccine while I was on the last day there and I had a reaction to it. And, and the, I had pain in my arm, like, I've never experienced before. I, I actually would have thoughts like I need to cut that arm off to make the pain stop. That you know, it was 24 hours a day. I couldn't sleep. Uh, I, I hate taking a narcotic, you know, but it was the only way I could get to sleep some nights, um, and it, it was horrible. And in the process of that, I let go of some of my disciplines. I let go of those things that I'd been doing deliberately, like nightly review, like. Uh, prayer you know my prayers were more take this pain away than they were about how can i be of service to others uh i i wasn't able to stay up at night and work with sponsees and i tell you that that um letting this discipline up 
the the obsession with food began to return the the feeling maybe if you know I had somebody tell me if I ate more protein that I would heal faster well that's all I needed to hear but you know uh the obsession with food began to return and and I talked to my sponsor about it and I said the obsession with food it seems to be returning and and I I don't know what to do and he said take action take action and and you know, the minute I began to take action, the minute I got back into the action and said, okay, in spite of this pain, in spite of this problem, I'm going to take action, the, the obsessions left again. And, and, I, and I find myself coming back to, to, to center. And uh, I, I saw, I got to see, I think the whole thing, I think God let me see the how tenuous my recovery is. He let me see the basis of my recovery. He let me see the, that if I let these disciplines up, if I'm not deliberate about the uh, about working this program and about the growth that's available in this program, that um, that I would return to the food. There is no cure. There, I, I am not. Uh, I, I'm not cured. I'm not uh, beyond that ever that I have to maintain and grow in those disciplines. I have to enlarge and expand my spiritual life. And if I don't do that, that uh, the obsession will return. And so I do those disciplines as best I can every day. And, uh, and I turn that over to God, even that I'm powerless over, uh, over my sloth. I'm powerless over my procrastination. So I turn that over to God as well, and he helps me. And uh, with that, I'm able to do this thing one day at a time. And uh, the 11th step uh, has been a very important link in my web of strength that I get from working these steps. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Craig F. Step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Presented by Elaine B. from Massachusetts. Thank you so much, Leah, and everybody on the line. Ooh, this step has three sections, so I'm going to identify I'll going to look at each one separately and, and how this step has impacted my life um, and the lives of others, hopefully. Uh, first part, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. I was really badly mangled. Somebody gave me the number for vision for you. I listened to my second meeting in June of 2013, the end of the month, and I heard, we used to get our ease and comfort from food. Now we get our ease and comfort from God. I heard recovered people on the line, and they truly had solved their problems by simple reliance on the spirit of the universe. They had stopped doubting the power of God. Our ideas didn't work, but the God idea did. So that's what I needed to do. I was desperate enough to put down the food, to supersize my concept of God, and begin working the steps with all my might. Um, as I did, one of the many big book promises came true for me. On the top of page 71, it says that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. Happened to me in step five. 
I had the result promised, not a result, the result that's promised from working um, the steps. We never know when it's going to happen, but we will have a spiritual awakening um, that is sufficient to bring about recovery if we work it, if we work the steps. I also learned that quite as important was the idea that spiritual principles will solve all my problems. I call this the great bait and switch by my all-loving, all-powerful creator. And the sweetest result, page 50 and 51 of the big book, says that each one of them has gained access to and believes in a power greater than himself. The power has, in each case, accomplished the miraculous, the humanly impossible. Abstinence, yay. And now the consciousness of the presence of God is the most important fact of my life today. I no longer have to run the show relying on my little symbol full of knowledge, wisdom, experience in order to survive. Now I get to thrive by leaning into an all-loving, all-powerful, all-knowing creator and access infinite resources for any and every situation that I'll ever face, including working with others. And that's part two. We tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters. On every meeting of A Vision for You, we read, ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. I do this every day to ensure I have a plan to work with a sponsee, serve on a meeting, make outreach calls, or whatever God directs for two reasons, both on page 89. One, practical experience shows nothing will so much ensure immunity to alcoholic foods than intensive work with other compulsive overeaters. It works where other activities fail. I celebrated my five-year anniversary of abstinence, which came just a couple weeks after I started listening to Vision for You, on um, July 11, 2013 was my abstinence date. The second reason, to watch people recover to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you. This is an experience you must not miss. Frequent contact with newcomers and each other is a bright spot of our lives, much more tasty than Ben and Jerry's. Talking to newcomers reminds me where I came from, and it helps me share hope that people who have lost the power to control their eating can recover through the practice of the 12 steps as laid out in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 traditions. Sponsorship has been a powerful way to learn to trust and rely on God. I need to invite my higher power into every conversation because I don't know what's around the corner or what to do or say when I get there, but my creator does. With the big book, the clear-cut instructions laid out there, my experience, strength, and hope, the vision for you resources and other great resources um, and the support of this community. I have everything I need to direct somebody to the solution. Now, bringing people through the steps doesn't guarantee their recovery, but it reinforces mine. I learn something every time I read and work with sponsees. It's a great opportunity to learn from them, to be a trustworthy servant, to point them to their character defects, listen to fifth steps, um, to hold their confidence. And it also helps point out my character defects that I still need to work on, like impatience or control, people-pleasing, over-managing, fear of failure. I get, to, I get to learn how to practice patience, love, tolerance, and kindness. And I continue to grow as I help others on their journey. Whether they recover when they're working with me is not up to me, but I can be part of getting them closer to the solution and the freedom the steps will bring and God will bring. Another amazing promise I experience is also on page 164, that God will show us how to create the community that we craved. 
Working with others and con continues to help me build trusting, caring relationships. I've learned how to listen, ask questions, get out of myself by reaching out to others, be rigorously honest, and really how to love. This has impacted every relationship, and um, I've been taught to honor, value, and respect and support people without seeking something in return. To accept their differences, mind my own business, and to offer prayerful considerations instead of jumping in and trying to run their lives, manage their lives. This has been the most unexpected blessing of recovery for me. Who knew the community I would crave would be found in these rooms? That contact with newcomers and others would be more satisfying and sweet than binge foods? Who would have thought that this is where I would learn to grow and love? And who knew I could really be of service to God and those about me by practicing these steps? These are all truly page 100 promises that the things I place in God's hands are coming out better than anything I could have planned. The second part, uh, the third part I guess here is to practice these principles in all our affairs. The spiritual life is a theory. We have to live it. Working the 12 steps every day and working with others, my creator keeps me out of the food, out of isolation, and I have a full life of opportunity to practice the principles of the program in all my affairs, um, you know, in work, at home, in program everywhere and to continually become what my loving creator intended me to be. Um, because of the time, I'm only going to really focus on the last two, but honesty, anyone can recover if they're rigorously honest. Hope, faith, and courage, integrity, willingness, humility, discipline and action, working these steps, weighing, measuring my food, committing it. Um, forgiveness, letting go of those resentments, acceptance, love and tolerance is our code. Knowledge and awareness was so well unpacked earlier. And the last is service and gratitude. And I just want to thank everybody that I've had an opportunity to do service for and that does service on this meeting and the opportunity to be part of this amazing fellowship. Not only, God is, not only has God used a vision for you to save my life, but it's helped me build the community that I crave to be part of something miraculous. So thank you everyone who makes this community possible every day and special thanks and congratulations to Leah M and Melanie C. Happy anniversary. And I pass. Thank you very much, Elaine B. Thank you to all our speakers this morning. Thank you, Vision family. And happy anniversary to a vision for you. You have just heard 13 recovered compulsive overeaters. Each have described in their own personal way how the 12 steps, the direction found in the big book, and a God of their understanding have made a life-changing impact on their minds and hearts, producing a profound and revolutionary change, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. Freedom. Thirteen voices woven together, a tapestry of transformation, creating a powerful message of hope and possibility. Indeed, God has done for us what we could not do on our own. Twelve simple steps which anyone can apply. Yes, that means you too. How free do you want to be? And we're now going to close this meeting from page 164, which is found in a chapter entitled A Vision for You. And I've asked Ginger C. from Colorado to read that for us. Please. 
Good morning. This is Ginger C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.